My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals. Secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. Adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. Mobilize finance and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Melissa Hobson is a communications consultant with a love for nature and the ocean. Melissa is passionate about making a positive difference to our planet and to people's lives. Combining her passion for the ocean with her extensive PR, communications and copywriting experience, she helps charities, B Corps and mission-driven organizations achieve tangible results. Melissa has worked with companies and charities, big and small, both in-house and agency, for around 11 years helping them achieve their communication goals. And her brand experiences include Just Giving, GoFundMe, uh, Cancer Research UK, British Deaf Association, Marine Megafauna Foundation, Madagascar Whale Shark Project, and more recently, Guide Dogs. Melissa, thank you so much for joining the show. It's incredibly my pleasure to have you and to have someone with your experience coming to talk to us about this topic of PR in the space of sustainability. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's really awesome. So what's inspired your choice of career in communicating for positive impact? Tell me a little bit about your backstory. So I'll go back a ways. Um, And I think actually one of the key things that's inspired me, I didn't realize at the time was going to end up being to do with my career. Um, So when I was at university, I went on holiday to Australia and my travel agent talked me into learning to scuba dive and I absolutely hated every second of the training in the pool and I was just like I need to just get this done and then I'll never dive again because what is this why am I doing this Um, and then we went out on the boat to the Great Barrier Reef and just as soon as I got into the open water everything was, it was just a complete other world. It was amazing. Um, And I just switched, did a complete 180. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, you know, I saw sharks, we saw turtles, there were just fish everywhere, these beautiful corals. And um, at the time I kind of thought, well, this is cool, but I live in, I was living in Bristol at the time. So (laughs) that's a shame I won't be able to do that again. And then over the years, I went on holiday, I was by the coast, I managed to go diving, then I started planning my holidays to go diving. Uh, Then I started writing for a scuba diving magazine, kind of on the side around my PR work. Um, All this time I was doing PR, originally for a big consumer agency, and then moving kind of towards the charity space. So I worked for Cancer Research UK, and then I worked agency side with, as you mentioned, Just Giving, GoFundMe, various other cause-based organizations Um, and then I got to the point that I'd been in London for about a decade I needed a break and I quit my job with nothing to go to at the time Um, an amazing opportunity came up after I'd quit or while I was working my notice period to move to Mozambique and help a marine conservation charity so that's the Marine Megafauna Foundation MMF 
Um, and I spent about eight months volunteering with them out in Mozambique. And that was kind of the, the big step, I guess, into marine conservation specifically and sustainability, which is my core niche kind of around other charity stuff that I do as well. Yeah, no, that's a really powerful story. And I think I think reefs do have this effect on people, definitely. I, as a child, um, you know, the twin island of, of the Republic that I come from is Trinidad and Tobago, and Tobago had used to have really beautiful reefs. Um, and we would travel there as kids and stuff. And, and even as a little kid, you can get out there, not with any snorkeling device, because it was so easy to access. And it eventually has been bleached like a lot of other coral reefs around the world. So it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful to witness that in your lifetime, something mm. that you'd never expect. It's such a shame, isn't it, to see, you know, within a few years, the landscape completely changing for, for the negative. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely a cause that that we all support. I think anyone who lives near an ocean, I'm definitely an, an island girl myself. So <laughs> it's definitely a cause I, I support. And you've worked in some really amazing campaigns with some great brands. And can you tell us a little bit about your favorite impact campaign and why it was so important to you? Yeah, so we were chatting before and you said, oh, this is going to be a really easy question. And actually, this is probably the hardest of all the questions you've given me. I've worked on some amazing campaigns and with various um, kind of charities and organizations. And I've been thinking about this for a few days and every day I change my mind about which campaign I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> um, so there was one that originally I was going to talk about, which I'll just touch on briefly, because when I was at Cancer Research UK, um, I was involved in the No Makeup Selfie campaign, which I don't know if you remember, people were taking photos of themselves with any, without any makeup on and, um, and tweeting it, basically. Um, and what was really amazing about that was it wasn't actually our campaign. People were just doing it to raise awareness of cancer research, small c, small r. Um, and our social media manager at the time was... I think in the evening at home on call because we had a rotor of covering out of hours and he jumped on it and just sent out a tweet saying you know by the way this isn't us but if you would like to support Cancer Research UK the charity then you can do and the next day the team scrabbled around and we actually had an unused text to donate number so we tweeted out the text to donate number and um, that was it the phones just didn't stop ringing from that point. And I think what was amazing about that campaign, apart from the fact that we raised something like 8 million in, a, in about a week, um, and it just kept going. But from a PR perspective, and I was playing just a very small part in the team, kind of managing the press response to that, it was so measurable, which usually in PR, you know, we talk about it being such an important piece of the puzzle, but, you know, digital marketers will have stats around you know social media and retweets and how many views and all that kind of thing which PR can be really unmeasurable so so this was a campaign that was really exciting to see a communications campaign that had a direct tangible impact and we knew every penny that came into that number was because of the the no makeup selfie because <laughs> it had just been kind of sitting dormant the number otherwise so um yeah so that was one that was kind of exciting to be involved in even though I was yeah just a, a very tiny piece of that puzzle it's, it's such important work as well I, I can't can you describe what it feels like to 
have been involved in something so game-changing? I mean, at the time, it was just hectic. We had um, Cancer Research UK, a brilliant organisation, and they have a fantastic comms team. Um, And we probably had 10 or more than 10 members of the team kind of working on comms at that point. And it was just tools down on everything else. Um, You know, it, it was completely overwhelming. The social media team were just flooded with tweets that they were, you know, responding to, engaging with, sharing. But from a PR point of view, obviously, news organizations were picking up on it. So they wanted the press release. They wanted the latest figures. Every morning we were trying to check, you know, what's the donation gone up to now? And it might have raised an extra million or a couple of million obviously also being conservative that with text to donate campaigns, the um, the figures slightly in flux because people might then decide not to pay that donation when their phone bill comes through. Mm. Um, so there's a little bit of that as well, but also getting, you know, finding which of our spokespeople were free, getting them onto TV, onto radio, doing comment pieces. Um, so it was literally, I mean, yeah, we were working in a bit of a call center at that point, as soon as you put the phone down, it was ringing with another journalist. So it was just everyone really working together and just powering through to, to try and spread the word even further as much as we could. So it was exciting, but it, it was exhausting once that couple of weeks wrapped up and you suddenly realized your to-do list had been on, on hold for yeah, probably a good two weeks. We didn't really, you know, have the time to focus on anything else. Um, yeah. It was, it was a lot, but it was, it was incredible, as you say. And and I guess it's probably the reverse of what happens normally. Normally you're trying to book that spot, you know, you're trying to get the news media to take the story, but now it's, it's really them coming to you. And, and I guess this is the beauty of a fantastic campaign. Absolutely. And I think also one of the things with that campaign was, The reason I think it worked really well is that we didn't create it. I know after that happened and there was another, there was the ice bucket challenge. There's been a couple that have gone really big and the ones that do really well have come from real people and just taken off. And I know for, you know, when I left Cancer Research UK and I went to my next agency, there was often, you know, clients would say, okay, how do we do the next no makeup selfie? And there are things that you can try to do and there are ways you can try to create a really strong story. But I think sometimes the ones that just really take off are the stories there already. It's already happening and it's how you engage with it and, you know, not force your way in because I I don't think that works. But if you can make yourself a a relevant part of that story and use that as a way to tell your own story, um, then I think that can be, you know, a really successful campaign. Yeah. And just going more into the whole topic of PR. So, we had a conversation actually recently, sort of by text in inside my group and my community, because I realized that a lot of people in the sustainability space, or at least the small businesses in, in women in sustainable business at the moment, they're not necessarily aware of the power of PR. Um, and maybe there's a perception, maybe there's a perception about greenwashing about PR. Um, do you want to speak to that a bit? about why people might have that perception and and how to use PR for good? Yeah, so I think the first thing that I find when I'm working with new clients who haven't done any PR before, um, and often that's a small startup or a solo business owner who's kind of launching their company, 
and they might come to me for a power hour. So, you know, 60 minutes delving into what's their issue that we want to overcome from a PR perspective. And often with those people, it is not so much necessarily what is PR. They probably have a bit of an understanding and awareness of it, but people feel really, really nervous about it. And I think part of it, I think, is um, in the sustainability space, the greenwashing point that you mentioned. I think people are really nervous about any clapback. You know, what if I say the wrong thing or, you know, do the wrong thing? And I think also there's, as soon as you're speaking to a journalist, a lot of people just get really nervous. You know, they're happy to, I've seen clients who will have a long conversation with you telling you all about their company and what they do. And they're really eloquent and passionate. And then, you know, say in their head, even in a a mock interview situation, you're saying, okay, so now I'm the journalist and we're going to practice running through these questions and they just freeze. And I think there is something that people yeah are nervous about the media they sometimes forget that journalists are people too (laughs) and I can say that because you know on the side I do have put my journalist hat on now and again even if it's mainly writing about fish and things underwater Um, but I think it's kind of getting people comfortable with the human element of PR it's you know sharing your story with other people in a way that really a lot of the time your goal is thinking about the type of story that if you come down to the pub or the coffee shop or wherever you meet your mates and they say, oh, did you see that thing where, you know, and it might be an amazing fundraising challenge or it might be some epic photos of marine life that they've never seen before, whatever it might be, that's kind of the end result that you're really working towards. So thinking about it like that and then working back and thinking you know what do I have to tell that I'm passionate about and that people are going to be really interested in Um, and I think that makes it more more manageable you're just trying to tell your story rather than kind of do PR in you know quote unquote that intimidating way exactly and that's the thing you can do really organic forms of PR just on your social media and then it's a matter of it being picked up by the press sometimes it's sometimes it's, it's just as simple as that as well right absolutely and social media is a great tool particularly if you're new to PR um, there are things like the hashtag journo request you can pop that into your you know tweet deck or just search it on twitter and you'll see what journalists are looking for so you don't necessarily need to have the big databases and all those kind of things that maybe a consultant or an agency might have access two um you know you can keep an eye on little things like that and it might be that a journalist is you know at the moment we've got the budget coming up so journalists might be looking for people to talk about how changes in the budget are affecting them um and there's going to be a lot of stuff that's not relevant to you but it might be that they're talking about green energy they're talking about you know some of the things that are happening at cop 26 when that comes up next week And you might have a really pertinent point on there. Um, And yeah, you know, drop them a tweet back, give them a little introduction to you and what you do. And that can be a really great way to kind of start getting in touch with media and and putting yourself out there. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I wanted to ask you the next question as a positive question, but unfortunately we've had some actually really crap news, literally crap news about <laughs> what's happening with the votes and, and um, putting sewage into the water in the UK and stuff like this. I guess what I want to ask, maybe I'll make it a two-part question now. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on what's what's kind of happening at the moment? But what are sort of the positive signs that you're getting about how we're going to care for the oceans in the future? What 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 do you think gives us a reason to be encouraged? Yeah. So, to the first part of your question, to the first part of your question in terms of the way things stand at the moment. I think it's very much a sliding scale. You know, when you turn on the news or you listen to the radio, often we're hearing more about the bad things that are happening, the ways that we're destroying the planet, which is a huge concern. And I think there is a lot of change that needs to be done. And I think it's going to be really hard work. Um, That said, I do think we're starting to see a groundswell in terms of people that care, people that want to make a change, whether that be some of the amazing business owners that you work with who are starting, you know, with sustainability at their core, trying to change the system and, you know, the the cultures that we've been brought up in, or whether that be a family that are thinking a little bit more carefully about their waste. They've, you know, planted a vegetable patch in their garden or whatever it might be. All the small steps are really important as well. Um, from a communications perspective, I've definitely seen lots more companies thinking about sustainability. Some of that, if I'm being cynical, is probably from a, you know, there is greenwashing out there and potentially people thinking this is going to be good for our brand, for us to look good. So that's why we need to do it. Um, But if that is why they're doing it, I think it's important that they are still doing it, right? You know, even if their motivations aren't necessarily pure, we are seeing more people trying to make a change. So I do think we've got a really big challenge ahead of us. Um, And I don't know exactly where we're going to end up, but hopefully I think, you know, there's there's some really positive things going on. um, And I hope that that continues. Are there, are there any things that you want to highlight that are that are really going well for the ocean in particular? Yeah, I think I told you before, Catherine, if you ask me about fish, I just go off. So you, you might have to cut me off if I get too excited. Um, but there are some really amazing campaigns going on. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm working with or used to work with MMF and with the Madagascar Whale Shark Project as well, who do incredible work into the ocean giants megafauna in our ocean, um, you know, looking at populations and also looking at how, you know, how is tourism behaviors affecting these populations? Um, Stella, who's a good friend of mine who runs the Madagascar Whale Shark Project, is doing a lot of work into codes of conduct in in the area so making sure that boats don't go too fast don't go too close you know you're not having loads of people jumping on the animals getting all excited to see the sharks because it's a great way to raise awareness like you know seeing these enormous creatures in front of you in the ocean is absolutely spectacular but we do need to do it in a responsible way so uh, charities like that are doing some amazing work 
the Manta Trust as well, I know is doing some amazing work around responsible tourism. And then there's also things closer to home in, um, in the UK. There's a big seagrass planting project that's been going on. Seagrass is a really important carbon sink and it's often overlooked because people are talking about coral and coral reefs. Um, so lots of great seagrass projects going on. And then there's also, and this is, I promise I'll stop after this. <laughs> there's also lots of um, citizen science projects that people can get involved with. So again, thinking about the UK, if you're on the coast and you're having a little beach walk with your dog or with your kids or whatever, you might spot mermaids purses. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, Catherine. So mermaids purses, they're little black um, look like kind of packets almost and they are the egg casings of sharks and rays um, and they're called mermaids purses I presume because they look like a teeny tiny purse um, and the shark trust is doing some amazing citizen science work around those so if you see one you can take a photo of it and upload it to their database and basically help them work out which sharks and rays are laying eggs in that area, which obviously helps them with things like population studies and all that kind of thing, um, just by uploading a photo. Um, so something like that is something that, you know, anyone by the coast can do, that you just need to keep your eyes peeled, maybe pop your phone away while you're working and walking and, you know, have a little look at the pebbles or the sand and see what you can find. Oh, that's, that's really a powerful story. So, my last question, or second to last question, actually, is what's next for you? Good question. So um, it's been a really busy time for me. Um, and I'm actually, from a professional point of view, I'm booked up until 2022, which is a bit scary and also quite exciting. So um, I'm continuing to do some work with guide dogs. They've got some incredible campaigns coming up. Um, and I'm also going to be starting some work in the coming weeks with a, another marine conservation charity. I'm sure there will be other things popping up. Um, there's always exciting projects on the horizon. Um, and then from a personal point of view, I'm heading up to Glasgow on the train next week for COP26. Um, so hopefully going to meet some really exciting environmentalists and activists kind of during those couple of weeks. And then into 2022, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but when the pandemic hit, I was living abroad. Um, I hadn't been living in the UK for, for quite a few years at that point. Um, so I was brought back to the landlocked town of Reading. Um, initially, obviously thinking it would be temporary, but that's rolled on for a little while. So I think next year I'm going to be trying to find my way back to the coast as well. Awesome. I live on the coast, but it's not the world's best coast. I, I get to see container ships. Uh, <laughs> of whereabouts are you i'm in southampton so uh, okay. there's, there's an entire side of the coast that we don't actually get to access at all mm. um because there's a marina and then there's the the area that the boats the cruise ships come in and there's the area that the sort of passenger ships come in for the isle of Wight, and then there's lots of containers so <laughs> lots of shipping <laughs> you really have to work hard to find the actual ocean <laughs> just on it which is amazing um so the last question that i wanted to ask is is to give advice and and advice for people who are budding copywriters who are bloggers and who really want to get that impact message across because i think what we struggle with in this space um or my guess is what we struggle with in this space is that we're all very passionate that's for, for certain 
but we struggle to be able to communicate to get the people who are not as passionate to convert. Mm -hmm. So what advice or tips would you give? Yeah, good question. So I'd say, and I think for me, this is probably relevant across the different comms disciplines, whether you're a PR person or a copywriter or a marketer of some description, is to really come from the point of view of your audience. So that might be your customers or, you know, a specific target group that you want to, uh, you know, engage and maybe kind of try and start changing their behaviors. And to be able to do that, you really need to understand who they are and what makes them tick. So first of all, thinking about who are you talking to? Because if you don't know, and if you're still at the point that you've got a great message to share, that's amazing. And, you know, there's some really passionate people doing some brilliant stuff. But who do you want to tell that message to? And maybe, you know, why that specific group of people? Because it might be that you mentioned Catherine, you know, it might be a group of people who aren't actually that involved yet in sustainability. So, telling them that it's better for the planet and you know this that and the other it's going to save the turtles like they might not care you know there are people unfortunately that that don't care or that they have other pressing matters that are priorities for them but you know if you're thinking about what actually makes them tick it might be for example thinking about the energy crisis and insulation and green energy and all of that Maybe for them, protecting the planet isn't going to be a big influencer, but saving money on their bills so that they have a bit more to spend looking after their family might be a really big influencer. So I think coming from their point of view and trying to understand what makes them tick is then going to help you really work out how to weave your message in, in a way that hits and resonates with them. Yeah, that's really great advice. I think when I started this podcast, my mission was to take organizations, so leaders in organizations who weren't even thinking about sustainability yet and and try to take them along a journey. So that was the reason that I started and that I had so much business focus on the message I was carrying as well. Mm. Um, And now I think, you know, I've moved people a lot in three seasons and I feel as if people are ready to be on any journey that I'm on which is which is great it's exciting that, yeah. that I can feel like I've done that at least with the the few people who stayed with me <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because as well I think one of the reasons I've been quite busy recently is because you know we had the IPCC report we've got COP26 coming up everyone's suddenly talking about sustainability and so they come to you as you know a PR person copywriter with experience in conservation and sustainability and often one of the first questions is okay so you've got great contacts with the sustainability press right and I'm like well what actually we maybe should be asking is you know why do you want to contact the sustainability press like that's maybe an element of what you want to do but if you're a sustainable beauty brand we need to look at the beauty press if you're working I'm working um with a sustainable lingerie brand at the moment called Confident Tiger. Um, And they're brilliant, but our focus there is with fashion titles, with women's titles, with entrepreneur titles, you know, about the um, the founder herself. And obviously, yes, you know, there is a sustainability element to it, but 
it's really important not to get stuck in that echo chamber of, you know, I love all my eco buddies and we can all chat about the planet, but actually, you know, we need to break out of that and start to get this message seeping through all the other types of media as well, because that's when it starts to affect wider change. Absolutely. We need to nudge and we need to nudge with a shove. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Melissa. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Season four of Where Radio's Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Byam, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.